Erin Patterson, the Aussie woman who was accused of killing three people via a beef wellington, has pleaded not guilty. We have everything you need to know from Australia. For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's episode is called I Was Seeing Six People. It's by Stuff Portiaki reporter Eda Tang, who joins me now. Hi, Eda. Kia ora. I Was Seeing Six People. That sounds complicated. Uh, what's the story about? Um, so there are some people in my life who have been exploring open relationships, which piqued my curiosity. I used to be quite sceptical about open relationships and dating more than one person. Um, I would think, you know, something must be wrong in your relationship if you want to be seeing other people. But in conversation with them and just um, approaching with curiosity, I learned that there was a lot more going on um, for them. And it was just a different way of seeing relationships Um, And the way that I could relate to it is that, you know, you have different friends for different reasons. And it's not to say that there are some that are better than others, um, but everyone serves a different purpose in your life. um, And one partner can't be everything that you need. So, yeah, that that was where that came from. How do you approach a story like this? I imagine it's sort of a, a sensitive subject, for lack of a better word. Finding the subjects for this one was really interesting, actually. So what I did um, was go through Instagram because that was a place where kind of niche um, social groups gathered and formed Mm. communities. Um, And it actually reached a whole bunch of people through Instagram. And I think that also created this... um, There was was more trust between um, me and the interviewees versus if you just kind of cold called them. So it was people referring on others and being like, hey, my friend would love to talk to you about this. And they're really pleased to hear um, that there is more kind of um, exposure on this issue and more accurate discussion of what polyamory is. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's a new idea, I'm I'm guessing, to most people. Um, how, How did you find reporting it? What did you learn? The interesting thing is that there are so many different relationship structures in polyamory. So you can have people, you know, people tend to think of polyamory as like thruples or, um, you know, four people who are all dating each other, which is like totally valid. And um, But there are also kind of zigzag formations where um, there's a kind of main couple and then some secondary couples that kind of branch off that and they're kind of all separate relationships and all of them have different um, dynamics and different challenges. So not all polyamory is the same and not all types of polyamory is suited to everyone. All right, that sounds like that needs more in detail explaining. So let's get into the story. Thank you, Eda. Here is Eda reading her story, I Was Seeing Six People. Some names have been changed within the story to protect people's identity. Looking back, high school drama teacher Kara realises she went overboard dating six different people at once. She was new to polyamory and bit off more than she could chew. She says, it was just stupid and I learnt a lot through making mistakes. These days, Kara has scaled it back to just two partners. She's in a non-hierarchical triad, which means the three people in the relationship are dating one another. 
It's me with person A, me with person B, and then the group. And all three are separate relationships, she says. No one is above each other. Monogamy and marriage are comparatively recent social constructs. Historically, marriage often had a greater legal and economic importance as a formalised alliance, and inheritance of resources was placed above romantic connection. Monogamy, and by extension the assumed virginity of the bride, was an assurance that family wealth would be transferred to biological children, and has been hypothesised as an evolutionary safeguard against sexually transmitted infections. European colonisation spread these values around the globe, and the traditional concept of one man, one woman, to the exclusion of others, has been seen as the aspirational nuclear family unit in many countries worldwide. However, times are changing. As Western society becomes more secular and people move away from historical religion and traditions, not least with the rise of the rainbow community, the norms of marriage and monogamy are being challenged. For Cara, the journey to polyamory began about four years ago. She read Poly Secure, a book often considered essential reading for polyamorists although that didn't save her from some quote-unquote super unhealthy and toxic early experiences. I was still with my ex, and he was keen to do it polyamory because he had been seeing someone without me knowing, she says, whereas I genuinely wanted to get into it. After exiting the relationship, Kara spent time healing and reading more about polyamory before seeing some people casually. She reflects on some common misunderstandings of polyamory and says, I think a lot of people think it's an excuse to be promiscuous. She believes a monogamy-centred society is a product of colonialism. Kara says, there are still a lot of things we have to undo as a nation. The authors of The Ethical Slut, another iconic polyamory bible, describes how controlling sexual behaviour wasn't considered important until the Industrial Revolution. There was a rising European middle class, with limited space for children in urban cultures, and social practices were turbocharged by religious beliefs. Doctors and ministers condemned masturbation and normalised circumcision. Modern society still lives under those shadows, the authors say. And quote, Modern Puritans attempt to enforce the nuclear family and monogamous marriage by teaching sexual shame. Researchers also suggested a high correlation between monogamous marriage systems and payment of dowry when plough agriculture and land ownership determined a family's wealth in early Eurasian societies. Agriculture was dominated by men, and women were often reduced to their reproductive ability. Outside of Europe, though, non-monogamous social structures continue to flourish, says Dr Byron Rangiwai. He's an associate professor of healthcare and social practice at Unitec. Monogamy was of course an imported concept that came with Christianity, he says. There are examples of Māori, particularly rangatira, having multiple partners. The term rangatira also included women, particularly in iwi such as Ngāti Puro. Tāwhiri, a tikanga scholar, and quote-unquote novice in polyamory, says those colonial constructs have become deeply ingrained in modern society, where quote, success is held up as a nuclear family, a house, a nice car, and supposed stability. He says, the irony is that often, those marriages fail, and there's infidelity and catastrophe going on in that space. He says the approach to Māori sexuality from Christianity and whiteness has led to shame over what was previously celebrated. 
He says, in compositions like Mōtietie and all sorts of art forms, sexuality is so normalised. You include their genitalia and their penises erect because that's a sign of reproduction. European settlers removed or covered genitalia in whakairo in redacted language about sex in waiata and karakia. Tafiri says, they've been intentionally erased, so finding examples of that kind of thing is hard because it's made deliberately so. Polyamory and open relationships are both considered ethical non-monogamy. The ethical part distinguishes it from non-ethical non-monogamy, or cheating, where a monogamous relationship is breached without the consent of both partners. Polyamory, or having multiple romantic relationships, is distinct from open relationships, where partners within an existing relationship can have outside sexual partners. Ali Stringer and Thomas Labas put themselves in the polyamory camp. They've been together two years and have just moved from Aotearoa to Canada. When we first got together, we both had other semi-temporary things going on, says Stringer, explaining how they eventually found mutual love with another girl who was a longtime friend of Labas. She says, We occasionally talk to people on Field, Hinge and Tinder, and the best friends we have made here are a couple who were exploring polyamory on the Field app. Side note, Field is a dating app for people interested in alternative relationship models and sexual preferences. Stringer says, There were a couple of months between Thomas arriving in Canada and getting here myself, and I was absolutely comfortable with him meeting people and mingling in that time. We both have the shared value that love is not a finite resource. You can have many friends, so why not many romantic partners? For Stringer and Labas, who both identify as bisexual, it's important that any third party is on a parallel footing and shouldn't just be considered a quote-unquote sexy booty call. Stringer adds, Polyam is far more about love and romance and connection than just lots of people without consequences. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, tagline there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Ben Rayburn and his ex-girlfriend used to go out to parties and kiss and cuddle other boys and then tell one another about their nights. He and a later partner researched non-monogamy and decided their connection would be, quote, more kind of like a relationship anarchy, where all your relationships are valid. All of them are important and there shouldn't be a hierarchy. Rayburn, who identifies as queer, says he's currently not anti-monogamy, but he's also not pro-monogamy. Through his experiences dating multiple people, he's learnt to be, quote-unquote, really transparent. He says, The beauty is that many hands make light work. You're surrounded by people who care. Friend groups do the same. No one is ever going to be able to fulfil all of your emotional needs all the time. Ben says, Open relationships and various forms of non-monogamy are much more accepted in queer communities. He reckons that comes from having already had queering relationship norms. Scout, a 25-year-old tattoo artist in Tamaki Makoto, first recognised feelings for other people at age 16. Their then partner was, quote-unquote, pretty supportive. 
but didn't change their monogamous dynamic until they moved in together. And the shift came with challenges. They say, I was only allowed to see women. I wasn't allowed to see other men. It's essentially called a one-penis policy. Non-monogamous writer Jacqueline Galtieri, based in California, says, quote, The decision to implement a one-penis policy is rooted in many troubling issues, particularly the issue of the intersection of biphobia and fragile masculinity. Scout has two boyfriends. One of them is their nesting partner. They say that's the person that you share a home and bills and all that kind of stuff with. Jealousy and insecurity obviously comes up, but it could be speaking to a feeling of lacking in the relationship or an insecurity that needs to be addressed. It's not a reflection of non-monogamy as much as it's a reflection of how I see myself and the ways I need to reframe the situation. Relationship therapist Serafin Upton thinks jealousy gets a bad rap even though it is mostly a helpful response. We were born with jealousy, she says. It's to make sure that we get our needs met. It's a protection, really. She says a lot of her polyamorous clients make a point to have deliberate conversations to process jealousy. Couples who are ethically non-monogamous really prioritise communication, says Upton. They tend to be more self-aware and more inquisitive and more relational. Overall, Upton is an advocate for ethical non-monogamy. She says, You're learning new things about the world, about yourself, and about relationships. And you then bring all of that enrichment into your own relationship. Upton says she sees many instances of people who have met someone special at a young age and realise later that they haven't explored sex, relationships, or dating at all. She says... Ethical non-monogamy can be a really great way for young people to explore dating and relationships and sex in a healthy way without losing that really special person that they've met. But it's not just for young people. Upton sees lots of couples in their midlife who are, quote, bored out of their minds with one another in the bedroom and they want to go sleep with other people, but they don't want to separate and throw away 30 years of marriage and memories. She adds, it can work really, really well, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You can still have an amazing, strong, lifelong commitment to your partner and see other people. As Ellie Stringer says, it's not just about the sex. Leah is a pansexual polyamorist who has individual relationships with three people. She has fibromyalgia, which means that she is in pain every day. She says, I don't want to burden just one person. Leah's girlfriend uses a wheelchair and has a heart condition. I think for them as well, they are fearing putting all of that burden as we see ourselves onto just one significant other, she says. There's also an element of fear when my girlfriend is disabled and worried that she might not have a very long life expectancy. What happens if you leave that one person behind with no support, no community, and no one to hold their hand or give them care and affection? Leah says being polyamorous allows her to quote-unquote experience as much in this life as possible. Even if being polyamorous doesn't last forever, I think the skills that I'm learning through dealing with emotions, clear communication, and figuring out what I like and don't like will stick with me forever. I would like to say I don't, but I do care what people think, says Tafuri. When a monogamous relationship fails, people say it's normal. Whereas if a polyamorous relationship fails, the first thing everyone will say is, it's because they did that. So there's a sense of pressure to make that work. 
Opening up his relationship has been, quote, one of the first times I've majorly stepped out of a social norm in a really intentional way, end quote. Tafari feels the stakes are higher in disclosing his polyamorous relationship. As someone trying to create systemic hapu-wide change, he says, if I get caught up in a scandal or something, then all of my goals that existed and collective upliftment are jeopardised. The irony is that that's sort of an indication of how colonised we have become because it's harder for Māori to practise our own relationship tikanga. Another irony, he adds, is that most monogamy is serial monogamy, where, quote, you're having back-to-back relationships, end quote. For example, he says, someone could have slept with 20 people in the last decade without judgment, while a polyamorous person might have slept with four and been judged for it. Statistics show a clear trend of younger generations being more open to practicing ethical non-monogamy. And Kara, the millennial high school teacher, wants to be able to talk about her polyamory freely. Kara says, There are a lot of teenagers who are polyamorous, and they're quite open about it, which is awesome. I know for a fact there's nothing like this in the health curriculum. Why aren't we looking into different types of relationships and talking about healthy relationships? For now, Kara feels unable to share her identity without compromising her employability. I shouldn't feel that way, but because I'm also a young female, it's hard enough as it is. While the polyamory discourse opens up, Tafari is concerned about free sexuality having associations with a hippie agenda or a new trend. He says, It throws out everything we know about society, and that's the opposite of te ao Māori, which is built on the transmission of knowledge. Tafari thinks some discussions about polyamory are from a very limited cultural perspective, where it's heralded as a new movement to challenge orthodoxy, whereas he believes it's suppressed tikanga. Pushing this agenda that it's a new thing without realising that it's a product of their environment is actually very ignorant, he says, adding that Māori had a flourishing society before Europeans arrived. We weren't running around with daisies in our hair. We had to go out and get food. We had to push the boundaries of what's known as knowledge and exploration. Kara says, regardless of motives, anyone wanting to explore polyamory should be, quote-unquote, ready to fail and learn. She says... It is quite hard initially, but once you get through those learnings, you kind of get into a really good space. Polyamory has taught me how to be a better communicator, how to be a better person, and also how to care for myself. That was I Was Seeing Six People on the long read from Stuff, written and read by Ida Tang, produced by Jen Black and me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via the Stuff website, you can hear this story and many more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual podcast apps. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.